Hello everybody, this is Joseph E. Farrell on Thursday, March 24th, 2022 with news and views from the Nefarium. Don't forget, tomorrow afternoon we have another short format vid chat. This will be the last short format vid chat for the month of March. That will be starting at 3 p.m., but I will probably be in there early as usual for pre-chat. So that means please don't forget to post your comments and questions for that vid chat by 10 p.m. U.S. Central Time this evening so that I can get those printed out and read through and my thoughts organized and so on. Now, today I want to talk about something that has concerned me and many of the members of this website, and that's the epistemological collapse, the insanity that seems to be gripping the world and the world leadership class, and the inability to see things reasonably and rationally. Uh, we live in a world now of narratives, and the narratives increasingly badly correspond to reality. And this is a very dangerous situation, especially in geopolitics, and it's that which I want to talk about today with two readings. One is from a lengthy article that was shared by VT, so thank you very much again, VT, for all your article contributions. This one was a humdinger and a honey. And the second reading will be from G.K. Chesterton's Everlasting Man, which basically is about the geopolitics, epistemology, and morality of the ancient Punic Wars between Rome and Carthage. The first article is titled Bonfire of the Governments, and I want to be reading extensively from this, particularly the paragraphs at the very opening of this article, because this man is putting the epistemological problem in the context of geopolitics as good as anyone that I've heard ever put it. And this is by Robert Gore. I'll be including the links with this posting so that you can read this article itself. I'm reading simply from part one. There is a part two to this article. The article's titled Bonfire of the Governments. And it's one of the best articles I think you could spend some time with. And then after that article, uh, I'll be talking about G.K. Chesterton and his observations on the Rome-Carthage civilizational split. So here we go. Quote, expect chaos to continue making new highs. When Machiavelli wrote The Prince, he had Vladimir Putin in mind. The president of Russia has adroitly sought, maintained, and used power, the theme of Machiavelli's masterpiece. That he is an amoral snake is both true and laughable as a criticism coming from the amoral snakes who populate Western power structures. Nobody who slithers to the top of these pits is anything other than an amoral snake. Western snakes hate Putin because he's repeatedly outsnaked to them. Call Putin a rattlesnake, for he clearly rattled before Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. That he was ignored is a worrisome indication of the epistemological breakdown that grips the West. Its leaders are unable to grasp that Putin meant what he said, because they rarely mean what they say. Facts are not facts, and the truth is whatever narrative they're promoting at the moment. 
it's become axiomatic that power flows from control of the narrative. Until it doesn't. Power flows from understanding reality and making use of what it can offer. If narratives were power, the Ukraine's army would be in Moscow by now. We haven't seen this kind of excessive excrement from governments and their media minions since, well, COVID. Narratives are for the simple-minded sheep and the wolves who devour them. The propaganda is devoid of any mention of the 2014 U.S.-sponsored coup against a democratically elected government. Rampant corruption within the Ukrainian oligarchy. Ukrainian payola to American political figures, exempla gratia, the Bidens and the Clintons. Widespread neo-Nazi infestation of the Ukraine's military and government. Their eight-year war on its Russian heritage citizens in the eastern Ukraine. The government's willful failure to adhere to the Minsk Accords that were meant to resolve that conflict or the latest U.S.-supported bio-research labs in the Ukraine. Simply trying to find accurate information about the military situation in the Ukraine is virtually impossible amid the propaganda onslaught and the censoring or shutting down of Russian information sources. Previous wars have featured regular press updates and maps that detailed the situation on the ground, that is, reality. No, not this one. No matter how loathsome the opponents, it's always a good idea to know what they're doing and saying, even when it's demonstrably untrue. During the first Cold War, the West had armies of analysts studying every scrap of information that came from the Soviet Union. Now, Western leaders and most of the populace are flying blind. Their children sticking their fingers in their ears and screaming over anyone saying anything they don't want to hear. It's yet another sign of the epistemological breakdown and reflects a terrifying feedback loop. Mental chaos leads to chaos in reality, which leads to more mental chaos, and so on. Trying to explain the Russian position on the Ukraine, even when the explanation is festooned with disclaimers that it's not a justification of the invasion or of Putin, is as useless as trying to explain the dangers of COVID vaccines even by doctors and scientists who've promoted vaccines their entire careers and who have the COVID vaccines themselves. The children have their masks, jabs, and boosters, and they're waving the blue and gold. You anti-vax, your anti-vax, pro-Putin, and must be canceled immediately. That's the it. End of story. This childishness can only lead to disaster, which has arrived on multiple fronts. Russia is a net exporter of grain, minerals, metals, oil, and natural gas. The U.S. and non-Russian Europe are net exporters of debt. The former exchange for the latter via the SWIFT interbank messaging network, fiat currency, and debt's global circulatory system. Some Russian banks' access has been cut off stopping the flow of debt and the counterflow of Russian exports. Although payment for gas and oil exports have been exempted, Russian oil and gas tr still trades at a steep discount on the fears the exemption will be lifted if the war gets worse. Unquote. 
Now that was a tall drink to swallow, folks, but we're coming up to the central point here, which is Russia's recent announcement that it will be willing to settle payments for its exports in rubles, okay? In other words, not the dollar. So what he's getting at and what I'm getting at is they have, in a certain sense, slit their own throat by weaponizing the reserve currency status of the dollar. And I, again, I don't think anybody can put it better than Mr. Gore has in the context of this epistemological breakdown and the geopolitical chaos that results than has Mr. Gore in this article. So I want you to listen to the following five paragraphs very carefully, and then I'm going to conclude uh, today's news and views by reading observations of G.K. Chesterton about the Punic Wars between Rome and Carthage. Quote, freezing the Russian central bank's dollar reserves tells the world the reserve currency is no longer a safe haven. The move is not entirely unprecedented. The U.S. has frozen the, the Afghanistan and Venezuelan central bank's reserves, but freezing the reserves of a nuclear power is an order of magnitude greater breach of global financial arrangements and contracts. Joining Canadian dollar deposits, some of which Justin Trudeau recently froze, the U.S. dollar deposits can now be frozen and potentially expropriated on a political whim. Of course, dollars have been stealth expropriated on political whim via monetary inflation since the Federal Reserve was established in 1913. But this crystallizes the threat that nations who don't toe the U.S. line will have their dollar reserves stolen. And he's absolutely right, folks. That's exactly what the U.S. just did with these stupid sanctions. Russia and China have been reducing their dollar holdings, which they often invested in U.S. Treasury debt for years, switching to euros, yuan, yen, and gold. They've also created alternatives to SWIFT. That's the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Transfer. Now that the U.S. government has demonstrated that holding dollar deposits is like cashing stores of food in a wolf's den, the mood is sure to accelerate until their dollar holdings are the bare minimum required for international trade. The Russians, and here's the second half of the footfall here, folks. Listen carefully. The Russians have a financial nuclear option. As exporters of oil, gas, crucial raw materials, and industrial goods, they can demand payment in gold rather than in the fiat currencies the U.S. and Europe have now rendered worthless to them. With this one masterstroke, Russia would collapse what Alastair MacLeod calls the global fiat Ponzi scheme. The reserve currency will no longer be a fake money whose value is only maintained by political promises not to produce too much of it. And skipping all the way to the end here of this very important article, I, I want you to listen carefully to what he describes as the chaos problem. 
Quote, there is no limit to the pandemonium either centralized actors, that is to say governments and globalist institutions, or decentralized actors can wreak. Infrastructure is never completely protected. Electrical grids can be short-circuited. Water supplies poisoned. Transport and logistics disrupted or destroyed. And the Internet sabotaged. The World Economic Forum's cyber polygon's quote-unquote simulation may well be an eerie harbinger of that last possibility, just as its event 201 in October of 2019 presaged the COVID-19 pandemic. We're still early days in chaos's lengthy run. Controlling chaos requires energy, resources, and production. While there's no way to determine the mathematical relationship between chaos and control, remember get smart, that it is direct and exponential seems to be a reasonable hypothesis. Herein lies the contradiction at the heart of the globalist design. They are fomenting ever-increasing chaos while destroying the energy resources and production necessary to control it. Unquote. In other words, folks, they're gambling the entire world, including their own power and prestige, on their ability to be able to control it, and then, after the chaos period is over, to impose their global government on everyone. That is a huge gamble. Uh, whenever you roll, as I've said many times, whenever you roll the war dice, things tend to go wrong. Uh, they are creating, quite frankly, a, a world in which there are two financial systems. Now, I want to end with a quotation from G.K. Chesterton's Everlasting Man, because it speaks directly to, in my, in my opinion, directly to the deeper cultural issues at stake here. Uh, and he uses Carthage and ancient Rome and, and the Punic Wars as a foil by which to understand contemporary decay. And incidentally, this was writ written, of course, several decades ago, long before what we're seeing happen now. I'm reading from the edition by Ignatius Press, uh, and I'm reading from pages 280 to 281, and then skipping forward a great deal to page 285, because when you read it all together, it, it all kind of hangs together. So here we go, quote,